Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Good. Hey, do me a favor. Let's welcome everybody in Montgomeryville if you're here in Phoenixville. It's great, great to be able to be with you today. I mean, we're going to jump right into our message. A uh, little, little, uh, little shout out. We have a coffee truck here today and in Phoenixville. Isn't it like... If there was ever something that's biblical, it was having a coffee truck at church, right? There's a Bible called Hebrews, and so a little church humor for you. And so, uh, but man, free coffee out there when you're leaving. If you have kids, obviously you don't want to fill them up with coffee. Uh, and so, but there's, there's some kind of drink out there for kids. It doesn't have caffeine, but it is full of sugar. And so uh, stop on the way out. It's our gift to you. We're almost done. Like we have one more week. Next week is the last week of, of summer for us, and we're going to jump in to our fall schedule, uh, but today we're, we're going to continue in our, our theme of 10, and uh, when we set out to talk about 10, like you start, you're like, oh yeah, that's a good story, there's a good story, there's a good story. When you get into the ninth and 10th week, it's slim pickings. Like I, I went back to my notes and I was like, this one from this week, this is the one I was like putting off, because I'm like, I don't know where the sermon's at, uh, and so I prayed about it and we, I studied it, and, and I'm pretty excited to share the story about the 10, the 10 plagues, and so today with you. And so if you're not a church person, you probably have had some form of interaction. There's a, there, I'm going to kill this thing right here. And so it's Satan, right? Right there, just flying. And so uh, anyway, did you see that flying up my head? Why didn't you say something? You're just going to let me. There's a couple things. Listen, my fly's down, you say something. And if there's a freaking bee about to kill me, somebody do something about it, right? And so Anyway, so that, that, thing, that thing was demonic. And so we're going to talk about the plagues. Let's rewind. Let's get back on, on target. If you've never been in church before, uh, you've probably heard this story. It's one of those Bible stories they make movies about. You know, you've seen it on, on TV. You've seen the cartoon on, on, on the story of the plagues and the Israelites and the Egyptians. But I, w- I want to give you, give, you just, give you a little background if I can. And so the darkest time in the history of the Jewish people up to that point was happening. And so they were God's people. God promised them that he was going to do, thank you, let's give her the, the bee killer, save my life. And so anyway, so the God, the, the, the God, where was that? The Ten Commandments, there you go. And so tank, I think it's fun we're talking about plagues and there's a bee flying around my head. And so, but we're talking about plagues. And so dark time, Jewish people are enslaved to the Egyptians, um, real dark. And so, and, and they had prayed to God to rescue them. He wasn't rescuing them. Uh, and they, they, were, they were probably distraught. If you could think about their, their feelings for a second. And I'm, I'm trying to keep it as short as I can to get us to this point. And, and, and so in this time, they were slaves for 400 years. They had, they had multiplied. There was a lot of them. And so the Egyptians actually got scared of them and said, we need to do something because they're going to keep making babies. They're going to make so many of themselves. They're going to overtake us, rebel, and we're going to lose our free labor. So this, this time I'm going to talk about they made a law, and the law was, came from the Pharaoh, if a boy is born to a Jewish person, take, take him and drown him in the Nile River. So you, like 400 years of slavery, and now, now, now they're drowning babies. So as you can imagine, they have a strange relationship with God at this point. They've asked God to save them. They've asked God to rescue them. Like some of you have a strained relationship with God because you've been praying for a husband or a wife for two weeks. He hasn't done it yet, right? 
Think about 400 years of expecting God to save you while you're watching the Egyptians celebrate at your expense and build their kingdom to strength at your expense. And now they're killing babies. So a baby named Moses is born. You can read about him in scripture. He's pretty prominent. And his mom says, you're not going to touch my baby. So she hides him for three months. But as you know, keeping a baby quiet and secret is impossible. Right? Like Lynn, she works here. She's our children's director. She had a baby. And, and her baby is literally perfect. Like she, her, her name's Layla. And I'll, I'll have the chance to see her on Sundays. And sometimes she lets me wake her up. She'll, she'll sleep because she's perfect until you get her up. And when you wake her up, how many of you know when you wake up a sleeping baby up, they're pissed off usually, right? And I, I'm not lying to you. I'll pick her up. I'll look at her. Her name's Layla. I'll say, Layla, you're such a pretty girl. And she just smiles. And then I hold her. And she just waits around for Lynn to want, be time to feed her. She, don't, she never cries. Like, I've, I've been seeing her for three months now. She has never once cried. In fact, I told Lynn, don't have any more kids. You have nowhere to go but down from here, right? Every one of my kids, as soon as you disturb them, they were mad. And so, so he's mad. Like, he's crying. He's hungry. He's thirsty. You know, he has diaper rash. So finally, we got to do something. They're going to drown him. So she weaves a basket. She puts him in the river. And she says, I'm going to float him down the river. And maybe by the sovereign grace of God, he'll be saved. So God floats him along the river. He ends up by the princess of Egypt. She's bathing at the time. She finds the baby. And she takes him in. For 40 years, he's raised as a prince of Egypt. It's a pretty cool story. When he's 40 years old, a holy indignation comes over him. He's walking by an Egyptian soldier uh, beating a Jewish, Jewish slave, and he loses his mind, and he kills the, the Egyptian soldier and realizes quickly, my life as an adopted prince of Egypt is over. So he leaves, goes to the wilderness, the Bible says, uh, and he spends 40 years in the wilderness. So 40 years in a palace, 40 years in a wilderness. We, there's, a, there's a sermon there. God is always preparing you in every season of your life. So he's preparing him. He becomes a, a, a hunter, a gatherer. Uh, he has babies. With, with, he gets married, has a father-in-law, has babies, works for his father-in-law's business, minding his own business, never going to go back. And the Bible says that God meets him at a burning bush and says, it's time. It's time to go back and face, by the way, the now Pharaoh of Egypt would be like his half-brother. He was raised together with him. Go back and tell the guy you were raised with, it's time for my people to leave. Moses says, I can't. I stutter. I can't do that. God says, that's fine. I'll send Aaron. He'll speak. You'll show the power of God through your life. Go get my people. So the Bible says in Exodus, this is how, this is how he says it, Exodus chapter 7, verse number 1. I want to read just a little portion of it. The Bible says, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother is going to be like a prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and although I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. <laughs> you ever have God tell you to do something, right, but he doesn't give you the full plan? He's telling Moses, you're going to go do this, but he's not going to listen to you. It's going to be way harder than you think it is. Then I'll lay my hand on Egypt with a mighty axe of judgment. I'll bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians are going to know that I'm the Lord, their God, when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out. And so he is sending Moses back. And if you read the scripture, he, he releases some chaos on the Egyptian people. I mean, he, he plagues, right? Like he, first plague, he turns the Nile into blood. Second plague, he sends frogs. I hate frogs. Just a plague of, of frogs, right? Then he sends lice, and then he sends flies, and then the livestock start to peel over everywhere. And then he sends a plague of boils where people's skins are breaking out and boils, yet 
Yet the Bible says Pharaoh's heart grows hardened. And then he allows hail and locusts and darkness to cover. And then finally, finally, he says, I'm going to send an angel of death in every firstborn baby. You remember what he was doing, by the way? Remember what Pharaoh was doing to the Jewish people? He, in his power, was killing the babies. So God says, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you my strength. I'm going to send the angel of death. If you don't put the blood of an innocent lamb that you sacrifice over the door of your house, your, your firstborn child, your baby boy is going to die. But if you put the blood, we're going to talk about this next week, this angel of death will pass over. So all this happened, and eventually the will of Pharaoh was broken. So here's the problem. Where's the sermon in that? Shape up or God sending frogs? I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm living in a plague in my backyard with the cicadas. Right? Don't sip on anybody that has a boil. Like, what, what is the sermon in this? So luckily I have some good people that work for me. And they're, uh, Elliot is always, always listening. He led worship here today. He's always listening to podcasts and reading. And he, he's like that. And so he told me a few months ago, he said, do you know why, why those plagues happen the way they happen? And I said, no, right? Like, I don't know. Like, what do you preach on? He said, well, I, I listened to a podcast or I read an article, something like that. And in it, a theologian was discussing the, the idea that every plague that God implemented and sent to the Egyptians was as a result of taking on one of their false gods. Everyone. You have this cocky, arrogant Egyptian kingdom that says we're going to put the people of God under us. Our, their gods are stronger. They have all sorts of God. Like, like, for instance, when God took out the Nile, he turned it into blood. That was an attack on the goddess of Apis, called Apis. And Apis was the one who controlled the Nile. And the Nile represented the economy and daily life. Look at us. We got the biggest, strongest river in the world. God says, no, you don't. God says, no, you don't. Frogs? They had a goddess that they worshipped that had the head of a frog. Don't know why, but they did. So God says, you like frogs? Here's some frogs. Frogs were sacred. They didn't kill frogs until they had so many frogs that frogs were overtaking their homes, and now they're dying everywhere. He keeps going. I mean, I could keep, keep going. They had a god called Hathor, which was this god that they worshipped that the head was actually the head of a calf. And so God said, I'm going to take out your your livelihood, your, 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 your stock. They had a God they worship for health, so God sends boils and that God could do nothing about it. They had a God that represents death and disease and life, and they would go to that God, and so God sends the angel of death. They had a God they worship for the sun, and so God says, I'll blot out the sun and I'll turn it dark. What is God doing in this? He's showing off. He's showing up and saying, I'm better. Any God that you think you have, I'm better. You know, I, I'm not a bragger because the Bible says I'm not supposed to brag. But if I'm honest, it comes pretty natural to me. Anybody else? Like if I'm playing a sport with somebody and I'm winning, I'm talking, right? If you don't want me to talk, don't let me win, right? Let me tell you how I knew I wanted to marry my wife, right? So everybody that starts dating a person, you, you, it starts with a physical attraction, right? And so... Let's not act like it's shallow. I thought she was pretty, right? I thought she smelled good. She was pretty. And so, but that's not why I wanted to marry her. I remember very early on into our, into our relationship, we were uh, in, the do, in the lobby of our dorm. We lived in a dorm called Savelle at a Bible college. And she was on the, uh, the bottom floor, the girls' wing, and I was on the top floor. And so the only time you saw each other in the dorm was in the lobby. And so 
Uh, so we were in the lobby one day hanging out, and they had these little booths, and they had, they had some games, and it was pre-cell phone. And so you remember if you, if you hung out with somebody, you actually hung out with them. You know what I'm talking about? You had your phones out, and then they did bring phones out, and you only had Snake. And you, Snake got boring after about three minutes, and so I know. And so, like, so we were sitting there, and we were engaged in conversation, and then we started playing checkers. I had never done anything competitive with her before. We're playing chapin on my best behavior up to this point. We put out the checkerboard. It was one of those, those fabric checkerboards from Cracker Barrel. You know what I'm talking about. We put lobbies full of people. We start playing checkers. And I am of the belief, if I'm playing, I'm talking. And I, I was smoking Leah in checkers. I mean, double jumping, laughing. She would go to move. I'd be like, don't, don't, don't move it, right? And then she would move it, and I'd be like, pop, pop. I might have stood up a couple times and did a little bit of that and like all this stuff. And, and so I, what, she got so mad at me. These people all over the place. I remember, like it was yesterday, she took one edge with this hand and another edge with this hand. And she looked at me and she just flipped it like this. The pieces went all over the place, hit all over the top floor. And she just stormed out. The entire lobby got quiet, looked at me, to which I said, I got to marry that girl, right? That is the moment, like this, this moment where we were she, competitive, we're going we're gonna, like, to bragging, like, oh, she, she like, so we're, we, I, this comes natural to me. And so here's what I mean. A lot of times you talk about God, it'll be this timid, like, yeah, you should follow him. You should give your life to him. Yeah, he's probably, he might be better. It he, he, he might go better for you. Or we'll do this in America, we'll be like, it's really hard to follow, follow Jesus right? Until you look at people in Afghanistan and you realize, we should never say that again. It's really hard. Like, you're going to be, you're going to, people are going to leave you out. People are going to think you weird. And sometimes even as a pastor, you're like, yeah, it's going to be really difficult. And God said, for once, would you not come at that angle? And for once, would you just talk about how it's better to follow me? Would, would you just talk about how good it is? There is nothing better than living for Jesus Christ. I thought I'll get a little bit more from you. There is nothing better than live. That, that's what he's doing. And somebody's saying, are you allowed to be like that in church? Well, the Bible says I am allowed to brag. I looked it up. Watch what it says when you boast. So check this out. I love this. In 1 Corinthians 1, it says, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, that's me, maybe you, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to boast in the Lord. I'm going to boast. Can I just boast about that's what God's doing right here? You're boasting about your cattle, your livestock, your frogs, your river, your power, your, your pharaoh. Let me show you how powerful I am. Let me show you that I'm better than what you think is good. Let me show you. Over and over and over again in scripture, Psalms 44 says, if you, if, if God, we have boasted all day long. Psalms 20 says, some boast in chariots and some boast in horses, but I'm going to boast in the name of the Lord. Paul says in Romans 15, therefore in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God, living with and for Jesus is the best life. I want to show you one passage that I landed on this week. I was like, well, where do I go from there? Psalms 40, I love it. I'm boasting about the Lord. Well, watch what he says, and I, and I think it's fitting in response to how I see so many people living right now. In verse number one of Psalms 40, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he sets my feet on a rock and gives me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. I need a little bit of audience participation. I'm going to say Jesus is so good. I need you to say, how good is he? Can you do that for me? Yeah. 
Eight o'clock service killed it. 9.15 did good. You guys are literally, you're the service. You have to do it. 11.45, I make them yell. Give, they have a headache, right? And so, you ready? Here in Montgomeryville, I need audience participation. Like a Pentecostal church, right? Ready? Jesus is so good. Ooh, that's shocking. You want, you want to clap too? Because every time we ask people, there you go. Jesus is so good. How good is he? Number one, all I have to do is communicate and wait. All I have to do is communicate and wait. Why? 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 Because all I see all around me right now is stressed out people. Everywhere that I look, I see stress. I see people feeling overwhelmed. I see people being tired. In fact, if you were to poll people, which I did some studying this week, anxiety is running rampant. 33% of people right now in America say they are extremely stressed. 77% say it's messing with their physical health, their mental health. It's messing with their relationships. Check this out. Stress is the number one health concern for high school kids right now. What? When I was in high school, the biggest stress that I had is do you have chocolate milk? Who, who am I dating? Circle yes or no, right? Like that, that was what I was stressed about. I went to a private school because I got in trouble and got taken out of my public school, right? My biggest stress was, do I have to wear a tie today? Kids are carrying around the weight of the world. They're carrying around stress. I look at people. All you see is stress and anxiety. I bet if I was to pull this room and say, how many of you have had an anxiety attack in the last six months? Many, many of us would say, man, I have struggled immensely with my anxiety. What do, what do we have anxiety? What do we stress about? Money, work, the economy, family responsibilities, relationships, personal health issues, housing costs, Afghanistan, job stability, family health problems, personal safety, and everything else. And the first part is so good. Jesus is better. I can look around at my life. I can look at what's going on. I can see the situation. I can see how the world is falling apart. I can look at what everybody else is stressed out about. And in my own life, while I'm following Jesus, all I got to do is take my concerns to him and wait on him. I can communicate with him and I can wait. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and he heard my cry. In other words, instead of having a panic attack as a follower of Christ, I can just attack every issue in my life with prayer. Every issue of my life. In fact, I want to read you a quote by a man named John Wesley. He's, a, he's an older pastor. And uh, he, he, I read this years ago. And every time I read it, it's, it, it's, it's like, oh, that's good. And he, here's what he said. He said, I have never known more than 15 minutes of anxiety or fear in my life. Never. Whenever I am, I'm fearful, whenever those emotions overtake me, I close my eyes and I thank God that he is still on the throne reigning over everything and I take comfort in his control over the affairs of my life. I'm going to close my eyes and on a picture of Jesus sitting on the throne of heaven, ruling and reigning over every affair of my life. Why is Jesus better? Because outside of Jesus, of course you're stressed. You know you're not in control. You don't know how much longer you have to go through what we're going through. You don't know how much more you can stand. But the Bible says my Jesus is an ever-present help in a time of need. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. The Bible says that he will make a way where there seems to be no way. The Bible is full of the promises of God. All I got to do is communicate and wait. Number two, Jesus is so good. 
one of you is on your game. I knew it. Next thing he says in the Psalms, he says, he turned my pit place into a firm place. He turned my pit place into a firm place. The theme of mud in our lives. That theme is used many times to describe what it feels like outside of Jesus. We create mud. We create misery. We create shame. It's dirty. We have, we have condemnation. We have issues. We have problems. We have regrets. We're, we live our lives in a muddy pit. You guys know what mud is like. A few weeks ago, a few months ago, I bought a trampoline. That was a huge mistake. But an even bigger mistake than buying a trampoline is buying a sprinkler for the trampoline. We put it in the back of my yard where my grass has not fully grown in yet. It's still a work in progress. And my son turned it on. Responsibility is not something you should give to an eight-year-old. And he turned it on while nobody was watching, and he jumped on the trampoline, and he came inside. He never turned it off. Stayed on for over a day. My back of the yard, my back of the yard was a joke, and now it is ruined, right? A muddy, muddy mess. Mud ruins everything. Many of us, we look at our lives, we've gone, we have ruined everything. Every relationship, my life, my decisions, my issues, everything is ruined. But the Bible has this common theme, that Jesus can take a ruined life and restore it. That Jesus can take a broken person and make them whole. That Jesus is better than the worst things that you've done and the worst things that have been done to you. That, that Jesus is better. And so what does he say? He says, you take my, my, my muddy situation and you put me on a firm, a firm foundation. That firm word firm foundation is all throughout scripture. You see it in the New Testament where he says, some people build their life on the sand. And when the water comes in, it turns it into a muddy mess. But other people have elevated their situation and they've built their life on rock. And no matter what comes, they stand firm. And you see it all over the place. I spent a lot of time this week wasted on watching people fall off crates. You guys know what I'm talking about if you watch TikTok. Way too much time that I would like to tell you about. I'm just one of those people that sometimes I just can't, some of you are like, what is it? Just go look it up, right? Like I, we go through, we go like the challenges that people accept. You're like, what is, but I watch these people walk up these crates and the point is this crate stacked like a pyramid. They're, I don't know how tall the tall ones is, but they're, they're tall. And you, you walk up these crates and try to get to the other side. And if you do, it's confirmed that you're awesome. <laughs> if you fall, you end up on YouTube, right? Some pastor in Pennsylvania, when they're supposed to be studying their sermon, is watching and laughing, right? The funniest part of it is when they get to the top, oftentimes they're kind of cocky when they go up, like they go up the first couple levels. It's like, okay, you're on top of three crates. What big deal? If you fall, it's not going to hurt. When they get to the top level, the, the crates oftentimes start wiggling. Have you watched this? And they'll get there and they realize I got to go all the way down. But as they're up there, they're, you ever watch them? Like I, I watch, like I, I rewatch a couple of them. They're just start going. Then they fall. Some of you are like, you are mean. I can't help it, right? Like, I, and they fall and they hit their back and like it's just and I just thought to myself doesn't that feel like life for so many people they're just constantly just what what and everything is it and I just I think there's a better way I think there's a firm foundation I, I think there's a God you can serve that's an ever-present help in a time of need I think there's a God that gives peace that surpasses understanding I think there's a God that provides security in an insecure world. There's a God that gives strength where you're most weak, and there is a God that gives confidence that you can't get anywhere else. Just give me a few more thoughts. Jesus is so good. 
I like what he says in number three. He says, my song sounds different now. My song sounds different now. You know what else I notice about people? Because we're, we have so much stress and anxiety of the unknown, and we're so many bad decisions just kind of going all over the place, I've also noticed how depressed people are right now. Like they, they did a study of, of, of Gen Z, right? The newest, I think that's the newest. I don't know where you go after Z, right? Kind of scary. And so uh, what they, did, they did Gen X, Millennials, Gen Z. And they did a study of Generation Z. And they found out that about half of them would say most of their life they feel depressed. So some of you are like, well, one out of two is not bad, right? One out of two, they, the study is interesting because uh, they are the next in line of most depressed people is millennials, but they beat them by 11%. So about 35% of millennials. And it, it, gets, it, it goes down the older people get. And it's interesting to me because like, I look at my kid's life and I'm like, your life's awesome. Like to me, I'm like, some of you are like, no, the world's falling apart. I, I, I know, but like, for, like their life on the day-to-day, it's pretty awesome. They don't have to watch commercials anymore. It's awesome, right? You don't have to wait for movies to come on. You just watch them. Like you, it, it, you, your friends, you, you, you text them, you call them, you communicate with them, you FaceTime with them. You can walk all over the house and do that. I used to have to sit at the kitchen table with my 90-year-old grandma watching Rush Limbaugh, you know, with a corded phone trying to throw a game at my girlfriend, right? And, like, you're, and I'm like, how, why are you so, like, you're, the food's pretty awesome now, and the cars are really cool, and clothes are pre- pretty cool, right? Like, it's just, it's, like, it just seems like you should be happier, yet they're more depressed. And I think that comes as a result of constantly searching, constantly seeking, and never having. And you ever notice, why, why does it use a song here? You ever notice that music follows the way you feel on the inside? You ever notice that? Like, uh... If you exercise, you don't listen to music like this, right? You're not like, <laughs> unless you do hot yoga, and I can promise you I'm never doing that, right? You listen to, you listen to, go to the workout at the gym, trying to get pumping. What do you, you listen to rap, heavy metal, something, something like that, right? I listen to a book on, on, on tape or whatever. You listen to something that gets you going. I remember when I, uh, when I left my, my wife for the very first time, we were dating, dating a few months. I had to go to Pennsylvania from Oklahoma, and we were going to be away from each other for three months. 19 years old, broken heart. I, I, I got in the car. I remember I slipped in Dixie Chicks, right? Because I was really sad, and I was listening to Dixie Chicks, and, and then it got to wide open spaces. I was like, no, I can't do it, right? And I got that CD and I put, in, I put in my Aerosmith CD, you know, the CD from Armageddon, right? <laughs> don't want to close my eyes, don't want to fall asleep, because I miss you. You remember that song? You guys know what I'm talking about? It just, and I just listened to it probably three states, at least Tennessee, West Virginia, like just listened to that song, just cried, right? And I think it's funny because the songs are often a reflection of how you're feeling. So he's talking about depression. You can sing this, the woe is me song, the blues. But the psalmist said, you gave me a new song. You gave me a song of praise. You changed my mourning into dancing. You gave me a, a new song. It's, it's that new song. That's, that I, in the Hebrew, that means to be renewed, to be refreshed. See, I'm tired of walking around this earth and acting like everything is falling apart and woe is me as the world's looking to us going, if you are messed up and you are miserable, what hope do we have? If you're posting online about how everything's falling apart and you're complaining, what hope do we have? 
How about instead of that, we start talking about how our song has been made new. Our joy of the Lord is our strength. There's purpose in what's going on right now. There's a revival being stirred in our country right now. I don't know if you noticed that. See, we, we are of the belief in our church that pre- pressure often breaks pipes, but it also makes diamonds. Amen? And God is creating a diamond church right now. A church for the last days. A church that's going to seek and save the lost and be focused. And he's given us a new song. And I love the last part that he says. I love the last part because it's, it's the reason that he does any of those things in our lives. There's nothing better than, than living for Jesus. Not just having Jesus in you, but having him work through you. Watch what he says in number four. How good is Jesus? I messed up. Jesus is so good. There you go. <laughs> my life has a purpose beyond myself. My, my life, how good is Jesus? Me, a broken, one in a billion, messed up, mired, muddy, depressed, anxiety-ridden, hopeless person. Jesus saved me, and not only does he work in me, but man, for the glory of God, he begins to work through me. And there is nothing better than when you see the Lord begin to work through you. That's what he says. Did you see it? He says, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. It's always only about him. I love watching that happen in people's lives. You know, we do this thing called Welcome to Church. Uh, you see, we advertise it for every week. And uh, it's just people's next steps. You come to Welcome to Church. We talk to you about Jesus. We get you connected into your next step. And a few months back, uh, we had a guy come to Welcome to Church. And as soon as the night was over, I had a, I don't remember if it was an email or a Facebook message. Either way, I could see that it was a long message. It was late at night. And I was like, I don't know if I want to read this right now. You never know with church people what you're going to get. Right? So I clicked it because I never met him before and I read, read through this message and it was, it, was, it was such an encouragement. The message was about how the Lord was working and moving in his life and how he, you know, he didn't really grow up in church and he didn't really see himself as a church person and he wasn't somebody who typically would reach out and, and, and talk and, you know, it just was a, it was a different reaction for him. And I was so encouraged and what, what was so cool is you begin to watch the Lord work through somebody's life like that. And so this past welcome to church on Monday night, uh, he, he, he was signed up to serve. And so what we do at Welcome to Church is we have new people and we have older people that have been at the church, some for months, some for years, and we build a family together, right? And, and, and so every, every time we'll have tables, people will sit. And so in staff meeting on Monday, the exact prayer we prayed was, God, you know who's coming and God, you know who's serving. Would you intersect their paths and have the right people sit at the right tables and the right teammates sit at the right tables so that God-ordained conversations can happen? That's the exact, I mean, something like that. Probably sounded better, right? So that night, he was there. At the end of the night, I saw him sitting at a table, sitting with people. He came out to me. We were talking, and he was like excited, excited, like God excited. He's like, I got to tell you something. He's like, I sat with somebody tonight. Remember that email I sent you? I said, I remember. He said, he said that email that I sent you tonight, the guy that I, that I sat with tonight, it's like he's in the exact same spot that I was in months back and now the Lord is using me to make a difference in his life and I gotta tell you that's one real excitement for your faith some of you are like I've never been excited about my faith and I'm just can I just be honest with you it's because your faith dies with you you come you get filled up you eat it's like going to Shady Maple you feed yourself you have to get bigger pants and you, you go home but but when you go to Shady Maple you're not taking takeout to feed somebody you feed yourself 
right? And it's good to come here and get fed and get built up. But the reason God built you up is because he wants to use you to build somebody else up. And there is nothing better. Can I just tell you, some of you are depressed. Some of you are seeking. You've tried to start social media platforms and get likes and it hasn't worked. And now you're trying to start this and try to start that. You even tried to do the egg crate challenge last week and you fell and everybody's laughing at you. And you just want to be significant. Listen, first it starts with receiving Christ. Walking in his peace, walking in his joy, walking with his presence. And then he begins to overflow out of your life. And you begin to see purpose as he works in and through you. There's nothing better than living for Jesus Christ. Amen? And let me read you one more thought as, as we, we close. I love this. Lou Holtz. I hate Notre Dame. I hate Notre Dame. But I, I love Lou Holtz. And Lou Holtz said this. I love it. He said, he said you want to be happy for an hour? He said, eat a steak. You want to be happy for a day, play golf. Want to be happy for a week, go on a cruise. He said, you want to be happy for a lifetime, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet all over our houses and would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a moment? I wonder if you're here and you need that today. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's better. In fact, that very first song that we sang, I believe we started the day with, uh, the song and what was interesting is we prepare our songs a month in advance and as I was preparing this message I was singing that song and listening to it on my on my iTunes and I went and asked them I said man it would have been so cool if we would sing the song that says about how there's nothing better nothing better than Jesus all the things that he does and they said we're singing that first so I know this is a God-ordained moment I know he's created this whole experience so that he can move in somebody's life I know he brought people to this moment right here so that he can meet you and change you. And here, here's what I know. Uh, there is no one here too far from God. There's no one here. If you're broken, if you're hurting, if you're lost, if you're overwhelmed, if you're stressed, if you have anxiety, if you feel like your life is in a muddy pit right now, the Bible says he is an ever-present help in a time of need. And he's here. He's already began to work. The Bible says that the Lord knocks at the door of people's hearts. That when his word is proclaimed, that it goes out and it begins to impact people. And he's here. And there's nothing better. And when you receive Christ, when you stop running and trying and carrying the load all by yourself, and you just say, here I am, Jesus, come into my life. The Bible says if you would just call on his name, the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the way, the truth, and the life, the name of Jesus, the only way that you'll be saved. What Jesus do? We came out of heaven into this temporary broken world, and he hung on a cross. He put his life on the line for you, and he was put in a tomb, and on the third day, when it should have been over, and they sealed it up, and they ended it. The Bible says that was a comma. He rose in power. On the third day, and it's through his death, burial, and resurrection that me and you have forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternity. And he can save anyone. He can set anyone free. If you're addicted, if you're broken, if you're divorced, if you had an abortion, if you've carried shame around with you, if you can't stop, you literally are here today and you are carrying the weight of your mistakes. Jesus can change you. He's better than the worst things that have been done to you. He's better. And he's here. So I'm going to ask you in a second, both here in Montgomeryville, 
if that's you, if I'm talking to you, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I ask you that question in a second, I just want you to, in, in your heart, everybody's eyes are closed, everybody's head is down. But if that's you, and you know the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you right now, with all the courage you can muster against all the fear that I bet you have right now, with all of the feelings of being overwhelmed by being tired of being tired. Some of you just limp into this moment, right now in this moment, with all of the strength you can muster. When I ask you if that's you, I just want you to shoot your hand straight up in the air. And in this moment, you're saying, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. And we're going to pray all over this house. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. So if you're here in Montgomeryville, if you're right here in Phoenixville, front to back, side to side, you know the Lord is speaking to you. Right now, you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life. All over this house, if that's you, would you simply begin to put your hand straight in the air and say, you're speaking, you're speaking to me. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody, hand right here? Yeah, yeah. Anybody else say, hey, pastor, that's me. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Some of you are like, why are they clapping? Another hand right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are they clapping? Why are they clapping? Well, the Bible, the Bible talks about how heaven is competitive. Heaven is competitive. It's not God's will that anyone should perish. When one person calls on the name of the Lord, when one person turns their life to Christ, check this out. The Bible says all of heaven stops to celebrate. Every believer that's gone before us, the angels in heaven, they are celebrating because the son or daughter of the Most High has come home. Let's begin to pray. Maybe you've never prayed before. Simple prayer. Jesus, come into my life. It's not religious. It's a relationship. Jesus, I want you. He sees you. The Bible says if you humble yourself, he'll lift you up. So that was the first step. Here I am, Jesus. Now he begins to move. Let's begin to pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for what you're doing right now. Lord, somebody right now, their life is being changed forever. Forever. From the moment we call on your name, Jesus, you set us free. You secure a place in heaven. The Bible says you call us. The Bible says you begin to use us. You begin to heal us. You begin to restore what's been broken. I'm a firm believer. The Bible teaches that more can happen in one moment in your presence than a thousands elsewhere. And so, Lord, you're doing what only you could do. We thank you, Lord. And Lord, for the rest of us in this room, would we just leave today with a mindset of celebration and thankfulness? Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord, for setting us free. Thank you, Lord, for healing us. Thank you for using us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Because your presence changes people. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. One more time, Journey Church, let's shout amen together. Let's clap together one more time. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.